Monday, Charlie Brown and Snoopy celebrate Thanksgiving, and guess who's cooking? What blockhead cooked all this? Be there for the kickoff. It's not cranberry sauce. Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. Mostly virtually because we're in a global pandemic still. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... It's Nick Vance. You can find us online at cinematicvoid.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Podcasts. Uh, if you want to support Cinematic Void, you can consider joining our Patreon. Not only do you get cool perks, but you can make this podcast as well as a Sid Mass movie happen. That's right. And I should also mention, coming up on Friday, November 27th, will be the next Cinematic movie. It will be the Cinematic Thanksgiving special. And also, over on the Cinematic Void Big Cartel page, we are doing a Black Friday pre-order for our January Giallo 2021 shirts. We got our standard black with yellow lettering, and we also have a limited edition yellow shirt with black lettering that's limited to 30 pieces. And we'll also have everything that's in stock on the Big Cartel will be on sale as well through Cyber Monday. So if you want to get that shit, get there early. Otherwise, that's going to sell out. So you're not doing uh, Thanksgiving shirts this year? No. I, I did Black Friday last year. It's <laughs> I figured just skip a, skip ahead to the holiday that people really care about, which is January Giallo. But, right on. But not today. Not today. No, we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving, specifically Thanksgiving set slasher movies and that kind of stuff. Before we get into that, there's a couple things Cinematic Void did recently. We did an in-person screening down at the Mission Tiki Drive-In with um, the American Cinematheque for German Currents. We did a double feature of Werner Herzog's version of Nosferatu, as well as Uli Lamel's um, The Tenderness of the Wolves. Two classic German horrors from the 70s. Also curated a pretty cool German horror trailer reels. Threw stuff in there like the German Chainsaw Massacre. And accidentally showed a giant dick on screen on the drive-in for when I showed um, Der Todes King by York Bookwright. Shout out to York Bookwright. And then this past Friday, which was Friday the 13th, I did a screening of A Bay of Blood on the Cinematist movie. Mostly because, hey, Friday the 13th wouldn't exist as in the franchise without A Bay of Blood since... Kind of barred the template, a couple of the murder set pieces. You know, Jason and his mom owes a great debt to Baba. I said that during my intro to the movie as well. So with that out of the way, we're going to move on to our next holiday. Since we've been hitting all the holidays on the Cinematic Void podcast, we just did a fuck-long endurance test about movies set on Halloween. we got four episodes. If you somehow missed that, all in the archive, go check it out. Especially for those of you who have a Halloween hangover and want to continue living carving jack-o'-lanterns until december but you know we're talking about thanksgiving and specifically thanksgiving slashers and unlike halloween and christmas which are loaded with horror films thanksgiving doesn't have a lot but found enough to do an episode with 
And, you know, when you think Thanksgiving slashers, what's the first one you think of, Nick? Uh, my mind automatically goes to the uh, Eli Roth trailer. Thanksgiving? Yeah. Uh, I, up until, up until uh, you know, us preparing for this episode, uh, I, I'd only seen a couple of these. Um, I, know, I don't think of Thanksgiving when I think slasher, that's for sure. Which is strange, since like this is the one holiday that involves a knife because people are cutting into turkeys. I don't cut into turkeys because I'm vegan. I cut into a tofu or a field roast. Which is, if you were looking for a vegan alternative, both of those are really, really good. So, recommend them if you want to have a less violent Thanksgiving, as it were. Where can I get a vegan turducken? I'm sure you can make it. You can get a <laughs> you can get a tofurkey and shove a field roast into it. There you go. That's your turducken. There we go. We'll be talking about Eli Roth's trailer for Thanksgiving a little bit later in the episode. But what we're gonna talk about first is probably the most popular, like feature length Thanksgiving slasher. It's not cranberry sauce. It's Blood Rage from 1987, directed by John Grismer, and it's absolutely a fucking bonkers masterpiece. It stars Louise Lasser and Mark Super, who plays twin brothers Todd and Terry, one of which is a good twin, the other is the bad twin, and it features some terrific gory effects by Ed French, who worked on things like The Terminator and um, Nightmares and a Damage Braid, so top-notch stuff. For those of you who haven't seen Blood Rage, the plot involves twins Todd and Terry, who seem like sweet boys, that is until one of them takes an axe to the face of a fellow patron at a local drive-in. Todd is blamed for the bloody crime and institutionalized, while his twin brother Tr Terry goes on to be free and live a normal life, except for having the stigma of having a killer twin brother. Ten years later, as the family gathers around the table for Thanksgiving, the news comes out that Todd has escaped. But was he the real killer, or was it really Terry all along? Ooh. The movie was shot in Florida, which gives it the film distinctively not Thanksgiving vibe. Because when I think Thanksgiving, I don't fucking think Florida. At all. You know, it, it looks like it's a summer movie. The movie was shot in 1983, sort of at the end of the slasher boom of the 80s, but it wasn't actually released theatrically until 1987. It was originally entitled Slasher, but the title was changed to Blood Rage for its theatrical release, and then retitled to, I guess for different markets, as Nightmare at Shadow Woods, which I'm not sure what the fuck they were trying to sell it with, with that title. Although, you know, the complex that the movie takes place at is called shadow woods right on at the uh at the opening scene of the drive-in uh ted Raimi is in the bathroom selling condoms this was actually ted's first acting role outside of the stuff he did for his brother sam like all the pre evil dead shorts and like being a fake shimp and stuff like that and we actually talked about it when um i had him out when i screened skinner on valentine's day a few years back with severn films so and it was actually a trivia because they were giving out copies of the Skinner Blu-ray and Ted was signing. And someone got right. He's like, how the fuck did you know that? <laughs> you know, the, we talked about the gore in this movie. And there's a lot of really good effects in this movie. There's the kind of like the, I guess the father-in-law or like the boyfriend of Louise Lasser's character. It gets his hand chopped off and is shooting blood everywhere. He has that can of beer in his hand that's squeezing it. And then Louise Lazar <laughs> finds him and, like, taps on the shoulder and his head hits the table and his brain just fucking spills out as his head splits. Who did the effects in this one? It was Ed French. He went on to work on The Terminator. Like I said, he also was one of the effects artists that did Nightmares and a Damaged Brain. I think he did the New York stuff. He was actually the one who did the big decapitation scene that, like, was originally wrongly credited Tom Savini. Ah. 
because if you've seen Nightmare or the original trailer for Nightmare, basically the big selling point was Savini did the effects. Mm -hmm. All he did was show up to the set one day and just kind of consult with Ed French. So Ed French did that really gnarly decapitation. <clears throat> there's the uh, there's a dude who's getting high and gets stabbed in the gut, um, and and I I noticed that in a bunch of these. There's kind of like a, I don't know if it's anti-drug, but I guess, I guess that's also just kind of a popular trope in just 80s slashers to begin with is just, you know, Jason's always killing kids having sex and doing drugs, right? And as we talk about Thanksgiving movies and we get into some later, like drugs become very apparent. And I kind of wonder if like the heavy drug use in all these Thanksgiving movies just have the fact that people need to be like high to deal with their family on Thanksgiving. Or maybe it's just the tryptophan. Could be. Usually makes you sleepy and not kill people, though. <laughs> a couple other really cool moments and effects in the movie. There's the woman that's from the um, mental asylum where the one brother that's not insane escapes, gets killed by the brother. Is it insane? She gets chopped in half. Like, most of that business is off camera, but you do see her torso kind of writhing on the ground. And it's, like, really, really effective. There's also the shot of the severed head hanging down, like, and scares the woman. Like, yeah, like I said, lots of really, really good effects in this movie. Although... What really is my favorite bit in the movie isn't one of the gore scenes at all. It actually has to do with Louise Lasser, who's kind of bummed out there. Thanksgiving has gone to complete shit. She's sitting on the floor in front of the fridge, just shoving, like, leftovers in her mouth, just sadly. It's just, I don't know why, it's a fucking great, ridiculous scene. So back in 2016, which was the first year I started Cinematic Void, I ended up doing Blood Rage as, like, basically my screening after Thanksgiving. And I was really excited to do it because it had been really hard to screen Blood Rage. And I basically, Arrow had just put out the Blu-ray, and they and I asked Arrow if they had theatrical rights on it. They said he did, and so it's like, cool. So I cleared rights with Arrow. I booked a print from Harry Guerrero, who is one of the guys who runs Exume Films. He also does Garage House Pictures and awesome print collector. You've seen a lot of Harry's prints at Cinematic Void shows, and you've probably seen a lot of his prints at New Beverly shows as well. Harry's got a vast, really kick-ass collection, and like he's got a lot of really cool stuff now that I just really can't wait to get in the theater the show. Hopefully at some point before, I don't know, the world fucking ends. So I got Blood Rage all set up, the show's announced, and I actually sold it out. And then Arrow contacts me, he's like, hey, we made a mistake in our paperwork. We actually don't have theatrical on it. Which meant I had to call the Blood Rage lawyer. So why does Blood Rage have a lawyer? Well, back in the day, it turns out that the distributor of Blood Rage had lost the rights but kept releasing the movie anyway. So the producer hired this lawyer and they basically sued the distributor and got the movie back as well as a fat settlement. And then they were able to sell the movie to Arrow for distribution. What happened was there's a lot of people they were doing trying to do screenings of Blood Rage on 35 or whatever over the years. And this guy would like stop them like stop them cold and like you know basically you know kill the screening or make demands where like basically the screening couldn't happen so i basically just the second i found out like i need to take care of this now before my screening gets shut down you know was i got a whole thanks to david gregory from seven films that had the number of this guy so i called the blood rage lawyer and i, I apologize for keep calling the blood rage lawyer because i can't remember his name and super nice guy but I think he was just under the impression that the movie that he now had ownership over was a lot bigger than it actually was. 
So basically, I had to convince this guy to let me do a single screening of Blood Rage because he was convinced that I should do a week-long run of it. And I was like, dude, we're, it's a non-profit theater. We're basically repertory. Like, we sold out at 80-seat room with it, which is great. And like, you know, but like it would, it probably wouldn't have done much more than that in the big house or anything like that. It's, it's just because not a lot of people had seen it at the time. So it was perfect for like the small, the little room at the Egyptian. But like, he was very, very insistent. Like, oh man, we could do a week long run. And I was like, look, dude, it's not, we don't really do runs. So he finally backed down on that. Have you ever seen the, uh, the trailer with the, with the goth girl in it? That's like, she's not in the movie at all, but she's like bopping around a bunch in the, uh, in the trailer. Yes, I have. And Funny enough, that was one of the selling points that guy gave me. He's like, hey, we can send out the Blood Rage mascot to your screening. I'm like, <laughs> mascot. I was like, who, what, what mascot for Blood Rage? I thought it was like one of the twins. One of the twins, yeah. Yeah. Right on. He's like, no, it's like basically this goth girl, which I don't know. I guess what... they weren't actually twins, right? It was just one actor. Yeah, it was one actor. <laughs> yeah, right on. Just one actor switching clothes. Like, that would have been fine. But, like, basically this goth girl that's in this Blood Rage trailer they released that has nothing to do with the movie was now the mascot. And I was like, ah, dude, I, that's nice, but, like, we don't really have a budget to fly her out. And he's like, he was offering her to fly her out. And I was just like, nah, nah, dude. It's, it, it's literally you're going overboard for, like, a single screening of Blood Rage. And then, if you watch that trailer, it's like a heavy metal soundtrack that's not in actual anything in Blood Rage. Apparently, I don't know if the, the Blood Rage lawyer is in the band or he just happens to manage the band. But then he was offering to have the band come out and play at the Blood Rage show. Which, you know, it would have been cool, but it's just like, it was, I don't, I don't think it would have made much of a difference on the screening. It's just like, it's like, dude, I don't want you to go to great expense or like expect us to go to great expense to like, pull this off it's just like i just want to scream blood rage and that's it and you know like i said super nice guy maybe a little over ambitious with you know blood rage it's like you know it it is probably the thanksgiving slasher yeah but it's not halloween and i know people have been watching it it's on shutter it's on tubi like that arrow disc is really really nice so more people are catching on to it but it's just like at that point it's just like i Dude, I, I sold out an 80-seat room. That's about the best I can do yeah. for it. But, you know, I'm not trying to badmouth or whatever, but it's just like this weird thing of, like, basically haggling rights with a lawyer who's then trying to, like, up the event, which, like, normally I wouldn't have a problem with that. It just, like, it just wasn't going to work. But He's like, if you don't let my band play, you can't have the movie. Didn't go that far. <laughs> At the end of the day, like, it, it was a really fun screening because, like, I think most people had not seen Blood Rage at all. And since it was a 35mm print, it was cut. So a lot of the, a lot of Ed French's gore effects weren't in there. But the, the movie still worked. And it was like, it was a good time. The other thing I did, because it was Thanksgiving, um, Brian Collins, who um, writes Horror Movie A Day, has suggested because there's a, there's a weird pie-eating scene in Blood Rage, he's like, you should do a pie-eating contest before it. I was like, okay, cool. And I thought, the day after Thanksgiving, I'll go get some cut rate, like discount pumpkin pies. Turns out, doesn't exist the day after Thanksgiving. Everyone bought all the pumpkin pies. So all I had left was sweet potato pies. So I had three poor, poor human beings suffer through three really hard-to-eat sweet potato pies. It took forever. Friend of the boy, Mike Felix, was one of the contestants. Thankfully, he quit 
so someone else could win because it was it was one of the worst things that I, I ever I gotta tell you I think the sweet potato pie and pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving are interchangeable and I will die on this hill so a few more points before we move on now we talked about the heavy metal music that was in the trailer but we should actually talk about the score by Richard Enhorn that's in Blood Rage it's a really really great like synth horror soundtrack which you know I'm surprised no one has done a soundtrack reissue of it yet I remember um Spencer from Death Waltz was interested in it, and I did give him the contact info with the Blood Rage lawyer I don't know if anything happened to it or it's just it might still happen someday you know I know sometimes these things take time but like it's a really damn good score did he also work on the Prowler Yes, he worked on The Prower, he also did Shockwaves, and he did Don't Go in the House. So he had a really, really great sleaze pedigree of doing really amazing scores. So definitely worth checking out. And one last thing, John Grismer, the director, also made Scapple, aka False Face, which is kind of a restrained slow burner southern gothic horror, which is really, really good. And kind of the exact opposite energy of the lunacy of Blood Rage. So if you want to see, like, I'm I'm kind of interested as to why he didn't make more movies. Because Scalpel is a really, really artful horror movie. And Blood Rage is just pure insanity. And I'm kind of curious, like, why he didn't make more. It Probably because of regional filmmaker or whatever. It doesn't really, I don't think it goes into it at all on the Aerodisc as to why. But, like, you know, really interesting two film career. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we return, we're going to be talking about more thanks-killing movies on the Cinematic Void Podcast. It all starts at 9 a.m. 8 Central with a parade preview. Then the big one, the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Later, Z Grandstand, followed by NFL football action, as the Detroit Lions host the Buffalo Bills and O.J. Simpson, Thanksgiving Day on NBC. Unbearable suspense keeps you on the edge of an abyss of terror. Take a cult film odyssey into cinematness with Cinematic Void. Based in Los Angeles, Cinematic Void is a film series that specializes in horror and exploitation films. Currently, we are hosting Cinematic Void Up All Night in the Cinematness Movie, a monthly virtual screening series, as well as the Cinematic Void podcast, where we dive deeper into the world of cult cinema. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like what we do, you can support Cinematic Void by joining our Patreon. Until next time, see you in the void. Welcome back. We're talking about Thanksgiving slasher movies on the Cinematic Void podcast. Up next, we're going to talk about 1984's The Mutilator, which was directed by Buddy Cooper and John Douglas. It's also known as Fall Break. Fall Break will be the name of my new hardcore band, by the way. Oh, that, that's a that's a fucking good name for a hardcore band. Uh, it all, you know. And speaking of Fall Break, despite the director saying on the Arrow Blu-ray that the Mutilator Fall Break is a Thanksgiving slasher, turns out that the title Fall Break is more relevant because there's an actual college holiday called Fall Break. It normally falls on what is Columbus Day or Indigenous People Day. I prefer Indigenous People Day because fuck Columbus. And maybe I won't name my band that. Yeah. yeah don't. <laughs> it's a good name until you realize what it is. But basically, it's either like a week. It's like a Monday off or it's a full week, depending on where you go to school. And that's when the mutilator is supposed to take place. So more or less, I fucked up because I screened it in the second year of Cinematic Void as a Thanksgiving slasher. And you know what? I'm going to stick to my guns and we're just going to talk about it on the Thanksgiving slasher podcast because... Hey, the director said it was Thanksgiving, even though it's completely a different holiday, but whatever the fuck. Plus, you know, 
I'm just stubborn, so. For those of you who haven't seen The Mutilator, a.k.a. Fall Break, basically a teenager who accidentally committed matricide finds himself being hunted together with his girlfriend and his friends by his now-crazed father. How do we get to that point? Well, the, the film opens with the kid, a.k.a. Little Ed, cleaning his dad's gun as a surprise for his dad's birthday. I don't know what world that's considered a gift. Like, look, Dad, I cleaned your gun. Turns out the gun was loaded. He accidentally shoots Mom, fucking aces her. Dad comes home, a.k.a. Big Ed, sees it and loses his fucking shit. Then it cuts to current times, which is the 80s, and the kid, seemingly going to college, is completely unaffected by the fact he fucking shot a hole in his mom, hanging out with his friends, drinking beer. And then, for some reason, he's like, hey, I gotta go help my dad at his our house on the beach. And his friend's like, let's go along. We're gonna go on a fall break. So then the movie cuts to be like a fucking sex comedy with this weird, like, 1950s-esque, like, doo-wop song where, like, fall break, going on a fall break. And funny enough, director Buddy Cooper still sells seven inches of the fall break theme song. So nice. if you want one, cop that shit. That, that song is a fucking banger. Straight-up banger. Fall break performed by Peter Yellen and the Breakers, uh, and the director of the film was in the, was in the band. He was one of the breakers, one of the fall breakers. Yep. <laughs> the song is like, it is catchy, but like it does, it kind of shifts the tone because you go from like matricide, kid killing his mom to like this fun lo loving car ride montage down to this beach house. And then you get into Big Ed, who's never really recovered from it but apparently like had money to send his kid to college and just kind of stewed over it and just now now he's fucking angry and now he's ready to kill people which brings us to the absolutely gnarly and brutal special effects by Mark Showstrom who worked on such things as Evil Dead 2, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and Phantasm 2 to name a few. Obviously I'm just picking all the part 2s he worked on, but Mark had a Hell of a career. He was also the first person to put Greg Nicotero, Howard Berger, and Robert Kurtzman in the room, who went on later to form their own special effects company, K&B, which is still probably the top of the line of effects houses going right now. So let's just talk about some of these effects. There's a really grisly machete in the face gag, followed with a decapitation with that axe I was talking about. Someone catches a pitchfork to the throat and like just kind of like chokes on their own blood. And then what is... Really, the most grisly kill in the movies when Big Ed shoves a giant fishing hook into a girl's crotch and just like goes up through like her pelvis it is just brutal and nasty. And you know, it's you know, a lot of people complain about misogyny and horror, and look no further than a fishing hook in someone's vagina. It's kind of hard to top that on the misogyny scale. And then at the end of the movie, when Big Ed has been sliced in half, he still manages to use that little medieval axe and chops the leg off a cop. So there's a cop laying next to him just shooting blood out of his leg. It, it's a pretty ridiculous scene. Like, But it, this is the thing with the mutilator, and it's kind of like why I like it. It goes from goofy to brutal like that. It just like it just switches gears, and then just you have the fall break theme, just like fall break, and you think about it, and like you know people are getting fucking mutilated by Big Ed the Mutilator. Now for the void screening I did on Thanksgiving, I got Buddy Cooper to actually record a little intro for it, and he was really happy about it until he heard I was doing a showing a thirty-five millimeter print. He's like, "No, no, show the DCP, show the uncut version," and it's like I actually agreed with him with it, but the problem is in LA. 
if I showed a DCP of the Mutilator, no one's coming out because people are like, oh, I can just watch that at home. We want to see a 35mm print. So I shoot a film print. It was cut. But people didn't seem to mind. And people really dug the Mutilator. I also redid another pie-eating contest for Thanksgiving. This time I went early and got pumpkin pies. So they're a little older sitting. But like... I was like, no one's going to participate in this fucking contest. But, like, this year, or the year that we screened Mutilator, people were, like, jumping over, like, the aisles in the Spielberg just to get be part of this contest. And it's like, okay. And it went a lot better than the Blood Rage one. People actually ate their pies in a timely manner. It didn't take, like, I think the, I swear it took, like, 20 minutes for that sweet potato pie eating contest. Pumpkin pie, people just, just mouth through it. They're the same thing. They are the same thing. I, <laughs> for competitive pie eating, it's just not. It's not. None of those are good. It, yeah. You need you need a pie that doesn't have a lot of density to it, which mm-hmm. is pumpkin and sweet potato. I can't eat either without whipped cream, but that's hey, that's just me. Oh, there was whipped cream on top too. Oh, okay, then yeah, then you know, I'm I'm jumping in next time. Jumping in next time. It, it's still a dry as fuck thing. It's just like, I couldn't imagine trying to power eat a pie just to win. I don't even know what we gave as a prize. It might have been like a Cinematech membership or something like that. Nice. I mean, they got it. And, that, and then you got to think they had to sit through the movie with a full belly of pie. Sounds like my kind of party. I noticed there's a uh, Mutilator 2 on Letterboxd, but there's no actual info. It doesn't actually seem to exist, but there's a little poster. And it's credited to be written and directed by Buddy Cooper as well. But again, doesn't exist. I don't know if there's. Do you know if there was any rumors of that ever happening? Well, what I think would happen with a lot of these regional filmmakers that ended up people ended up finding the movie years later, thanks to like Arrow and Vinegar Syndrome and companies like that that like put the movies on a bigger platform so people would see. It kind of renewed interest in them, and I think a lot of those guys, you know, for whatever reason, happened back in the day wanted to keep making movies and that opportunity fell through usually because of bad distribution or bad deals or whatever that this happened to regional filmmakers all the time. So I think it's just basically trying to capitalize on like, Hey, people know what the mutilator is now. I should like strike while I'm hot and try to like, you know, crowdfund or whatever. I, I don't know the story on mutilator too. Maybe he's working on it. I mean, I I've seen crazy shit like the writer of dark Knight of the scarecrow, announced the sequel that they've been shooting hmm. and that movie is made in like 1980-81 so i i think every a lot of these movies like the filmmakers are still passionate about it. i know the people did madman mars are trying to do a remake and like you know a lot a lot of people were trying to do that stuff so i, I assume mutilator 2 is one of those projects but we're going to take a quick commercial break and when we return still got more thanks killing on the cinematic void podcast that became a nightmare not intended for viewing by those under 17 welcome back we're talking about thanksgiving slashers here on the cinematic void podcast now while there's some doubt and debate on the thanksgivingness of the mutilator this next one is definitely set on turkey day it's from 1981 it's directed by nettie penna who's actually the first female to direct a slasher movie beating amy holden jones's um slumber party massacre by a whole year and 
it's home sweet home. And I feel like you got something you got to get off your chest about it. It's not my favorite. <laughs> it's not my favorite Thanksgiving slasher. It's not my favorite film at all. <laughs> you had a very adverse reaction to watching this. Do you care to share? I, I actually, well, yes, my initial reaction to seeing this film was that I hate movies. And <laughs> and I watched Raging Bull right after because I felt like I had to cleanse the palate with a nice classic banger. And uh, it did the trick. And maybe I'm not even so mad at Home Sweet Home now. I mean, Body by Jake. Body by Jake, yes. You know, PCP. You know, it's got some great elements that we will get into. Yes, so let's just go ahead and dive into it. So, unlike Blood Rage and the Mutilator that have gotten special edition treatment from Arrow Video, Home Sweet Home is still stuck on VHS. It's more or less just in limbo. I don't know if it's a rights issue or no one knows what rights are. I'm kind of surprised like a label like Vinegar Syndrome hasn't put this out yet. It seems to be in their wheelhouse. But for whatever reason, it's just stuck in the analog age. And since most of you probably haven't seen it, here's the plot. An escaped mental patient, bodybuilder, who also is a PCP addict, which goes back to all the drug use, this time it's less about the... The teens are the victims doing drugs. This time it's the killer that's popped up on fucking angel dust. I'm, I'm not a PCP uh, connoisseur by any stretch, but do do you shoot it into your tongue? Is that the preferred method? I don't know. Uh, I don't think I've ever willingly tried PCP. Now, that's not to say usually how PCP gets introduced into your system is someone back in the day would sell you laced weed that had PCP on it, and you would get a really weird bad high from it. I can't confirm or deny that I ever had that experience, but let's just assume that's living a, in Maryland and rednecks and... That sounds like a uh, a bit of a tall tale, kind of the same, like a satanic panic, like that same era of like, here's some misinformation for you. I mean, it could be. I, I would just like to... I would just like to think that, like, I've accidentally smoked PCP without realizing it once in my life. I, I know in, on the West Coast, a lot of the grindcore and power violence bands used to smoke PCP because it would just make them feel invincible and make them play faster and harder and crazier. Turn you into a werewolf. Turn into a werewolf, yeah. I, I actually will throw back here. I made a fake trailer, which is going to actually tie into the the section after this one. Back when Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez's Grindhouse came out, I made a fake trailer that was supposed to be for the competition, but then ended up missing the deadline because the star of my trailer couldn't do it that weekend. So I was like, oh, cool, we'll just push it back, not realizing I completely fucking <laughs> didn't miss the deadline. But the trailer was called Werewolf on PCP, which is about a guy that's a werewolf that also smoked PCP and became even more crazed and deranged because... Werewolves are violent. Imagine a werewolf on PCP. But we're not talking about werewolves on PCP. We're talking about bodybuilders on PCP. So, you know, basically this bodybuilder breaks out of the the loony asylum, like, steals a fucking station wagon, kills this guy, and then, like, drives to go to this family, the Bradleys, and wants to go ruin their Thanksgiving celebration and make things a little less thankful. And the opening is incredible because it's just like body by Jake fucking choking out a dude, stealing this car, and then running over a fucking grandma on the way to like wherever the Bradleys live, somewhere in Southern California. We mentioned it during Blood Rage. We didn't mention it in Mutilator, but like, I, I gotta say, all these Thanksgiving slashers do not feel like they take place on fucking Thanksgiving. Blood Rage is in Florida. 
the mutilators in North Carolina, and Home Sweet Home takes place right here in beautiful Southern California. Again, none of those places feel like Thanksgiving. I, I, I don't know why this hasn't happened. I, I'm, there's probably been a slasher, probably more recent that I'm just not aware of that has taken place and makes you feel like Thanksgiving. But again, if you take out the Thanksgiving dinner bits, specifically from Blood Rage in this movie, would Thanksgiving even matter? Very true. I mean, I guess it's just a plot point that made things moving. So, like we said, we talked about the opening. It starts really strong. And, you know, while the PCP Raging Killer gets high marks, regardless of the fact I don't know if, if injecting in your tongue is the best method of getting high off a of PCP, if you're a PCP addict, please let us know. Hit us up on social media and just tell us, do you, in do you ingest your PCP by injecting in your tongue? Do you smoke it? Do you just rub it on your own pressure points around your neck or your wrist just to get that essence? But there's one thing in this movie, and I think this is the thing that pissed you off the most about the movie. And honestly, it's like, I do like Home Sweet Home. I, for all of its flaws and like goofiness, I think it's enjoyably stupid slasher. But there is this one thing that annoys the piss out of me. There's this character in it who's supposed to be a super Kiss fan, but he just looks like a fucking mime. His name is Mistake. He's sitting at the dinner table. He looks like the fucking out-of-place, like, Marilyn Manson fan. Like, I guess, you know, I guess if this was made in the late 90s, early 2000s, like, this would be the Marilyn Manson fan at the dinner table. It's like, I'm all fucking edgy. He's painted up like the singer of the Attics. That's, that's a better reference, but because I don't like this character and I want to keep being derogatory, he looks like a fucking mime. He's always playing guitar. He's not a mime. He never shuts the fuck up. I mean, yeah, I guess that he would be better as a mime. And, you know, it, it it's a fucking goddamn shame that it takes two-thirds of the movie to kill this motherfucker. Like, <laughs> this is the most killable character in this fucking movie. And maybe that's why they stretch it out, because it's just like, by the time he gets it, it's like, Fuck yes, finally. They kill the fucking mime guitarist guy looks like he's in the attics or Kiss or whatever. I don't know. That guy fucking sucks. I feel bad because, like, we're, that guy's probably on Twitter somewhere and somehow accidentally comes across this. Like, I was just trying my best, man. I'm just trying my best. And, like, you did try your best. You played an annoying shit fucking character that if you didn't get fucking strangled and electrocuted, I'd hope someone in the family would have fucking knocked you out. I don't know. It's it, it that that's my one point. It's just like the guy, the mime should have fucking died sooner. That's my biggest beef. And you know the movie is not as gory as Mutilator or Blood Rage, but you know there's some there's some crazy violence in it. Like you know, especially at the end when like the cops show show up, the fucking gun down, like body by Jake all PCP'd out, and. You know, I know I'm spoiling it, but can you really spoil a slasher from 1981 at this point? You know they're going to fucking kill the killer, and then at the end, while he's laying there dead, the PCP kicks on again and he comes back to life for a sequel that just never happened. I mean, maybe Body by Jake could have actually continued this franchise to different holidays, going to different, like, family gatherings, like Easter. Like, what would you call the Easter sequel to Home Sweet Home? Like, <laughs> Jesus' Resurrection? I don't know. I think his I think his name is actually uh, Jake Steinfeld or Steinfield and not Sein, Seinfeld. I guess I got those two confused, but I'm I'm pretty sure. No, come to think of it, 
<laughs> it's Steinfeld with a T. It is. And, you know, he's a famous, like, you know, fitness. he, like, created the fitness program Body by Jake, which we were talking about. He was also a fitness instructor to stars. Like, I think he was Harrison Ford's in fitness instructor on the Indiana Jones movies, or at least maybe um, the first one, Raiders Lost Ark or Temple of Doom. I'm not sure. And apparently, if you try to talk to him about Home Sweet Home, he has zero humor about it. Can't imagine why at this point. Maybe he hates fucking mimes, too. A couple other quick hits about this. You know, the film was also the debut of actor Vanessa Shaw, who's probably best known for her role as Allison in Hocus Pocus. She plays the little daughter in the movie. I'm pretty certain she doesn't put this on her resume anymore. Although, maybe she should, you know. It's some street cred there. And, you know, director Nettie Penna was... Didn't make many films. I think she went on later to direct or produce a documentary like years, years later. But before that, she was the editor on a Jamie Gillis starring horror porn, Dracula Sucks. And from how the movie's made, I kind of get the impression that the crew was probably a porn crew. Very efficient, very like, you know, cheap, get it done. I know a lot of regional horror movies are made the same way, but there is kind of like a late 70s early 80s porn aesthetic to how the movie's put together now before we move on we have one last thanksgiving slash in the mention and although as of right now it only exists as a trailer and we nick already mentioned a little bit earlier so of course we're talking about thanksgiving directed by eli roth now this was one of the fake trailers included in robert rodriguez and quentin tarantino's grindhouse and i'll be honest it's my second favorite thing in the whole entire movie behind Edgar Wright's fake trailer, which is Don't. Don't's a fucking masterpiece. I wish that was a real movie, because that one just hits everything perfectly. I agree with you, man. I think that, uh, I wish I lived in the alternate universe where they had made Don't and Thanksgiving instead of Hubble with a Shotgun and Machete. You know, I mean, those are fun and whatever, but I, I would have loved to see Thanksgiving, man. I know, and I actually agree about it, because the one thing that Thanksgiving does, the trailer, unlike every other Thanksgiving slasher we talked about, debate whether Mutilator counts or not, is that it actually feels like it takes place on Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, the plot is in Plymouth, Massachusetts, where the Pilgrims landed. It looks kind of rainy and dreary, New England kind of vibe. And, you know, it, it hits all the marks of like a good regional horror movie in the trailer. Like, Eli Roth did a bang-up job. Although there's a couple times, especially when like the pilgrim killers fucking the severed head at the end, that <laughs> gets a little too jokey for my taste. And like I, he probably couldn't help himself and just was trying to go for a cheap laugh. But you know, with that said, the trailer feels like a cross between the Prowler, which we mentioned a little bit earlier with the composer of the Mutilator, and Last American Virgin, which I'm sure both influences on Eli Roth and his filmmaking. Most of the deaths are decapitation, including a guy in a giant turkey suit during a Thanksgiving parade. But there is one really, really nasty, like, mean spirit of death in it. And that's the girl that's hopping on the trampoline that's undressing. And then she does a split and lands right on the blade of a knife. Really, ooh. Uh, one of the things I really love about this trailer is the great voiceover. It's, like, super sinister. You'll come home for the holidays in a body bag. I think it's like that. I, I watched the trailer before coming in, and my memory's pretty shot, but it's something like the voice is kind of like yeah. white meat, dark meat, it all gets carved. Yeah, I that's think that's the other one. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I'll say that I'll agree with you and say that that I wish we lived in an alternate universe where Thanksgiving and Don't were made into feature films, or maybe just as a sequel to Grindhouse. Like, it, I kind of wonder if, the pre if Grindhouse had been a hit, 
that if the premise would have been that the fake trailers would have been made into features and then new fake trailers made and that it, it'd be kind of a cool concept. I would have loved to seen it, but fortunately I, when Grindhouse came out, it was a little ahead of the curve with people loving Grindhouse cinema. Mm -hmm. So a little ahead of the curve. Wish we lived in a world where Thanksgiving and don't wear features. But anyway, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but we're going to turn. We're going to talk turkey on the Cinematic Void podcast. This holiday season, prepare to have the stuffing scared out of you. Thanksgiving. In the town of Plymouth, Massachusetts, the fourth Thursday in November is the most celebrated day of the year. The table is set. The festivities have begun. But an uninvited guest has arrived. And this year, there will be no leftovers. White meat, dark meat, all will be carved. Arrive hungry. Happy Thanksgiving, Grandma. Leave stuff. From director Eli Roth. Thanksgiving. You'll come home for the holidays in a body bag. Welcome back. It's time to finally talk turkey on the Cinematic Void podcast, and we're slicing in with a killer turkey on a rampage. Gobble, gobble, motherfuckers. It's Thanksgiving. Directed by Jordan Downey in 2009. For those of you who haven't seen this or been avoiding it, a homicidal turkey axes off college kids during Thanksgiving break. You know, pretty self-explanatory. I'll say there's an audience for this movie. I mean, there has to be since there's, there was a sequel made, but this kind of falls in that category of films like Ginger Dead Man or Killer Bong, the novelty character killer that I just, I don't really watch. I don't, I'm not big into like tiny things killing people that's just not my thing the movie's definitely low budget and there's no doubt when you're watching it that it's just a fucking hand puppet turkey like it it's kind of goofy but it's also kind of charming in that way because it just leans into the fact that it's clearly a fucking puppet and the turkey kind of has like those freddy krueger quips you know he kind of he tries to be witty and it's i mean it is it, 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 your your mileage may vary on the quips from the, the killer turkey and thanks killing. Now, I've only actually seen this movie in, it was like nine years ago when my wife and I hosted Thanksgiving in our apartment, and I believe it was you who suggested we watch it after dinner. It was entirely my fault, and also probably the last time you hosted Thanksgiving. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not blaming thanks killing on it, but you know, it. You know, while we were watching, we were all pretty drunk at that point, And, like, we were all having a good time. Except there was just one guy that was there that just got really fucking angry. And this person is, like, a semi-pro screenwriter. And, like, he was just incensed that we were watching this movie. Kind of laughing at it. For the fact that, like, he's like, this is not a real movie. How did this get distribution? I worked my ass off and this and that. And just, like, it... It kind of added to the humor of it that, like, why are you getting so mad? It's just a fucking stupid movie. Hey, man, we're just trying to have a good time over here. It's just, it was kind of bumming us out. Like, really. It's just like, you don't need to be fucking angry. It's just like, you know, say what you will, but Thanks Killing was on Netflix and all those other streaming platforms for years. 
And as far as I know, this dude doesn't have a movie out right now. And I'm not trying to demean him. It's like, you know, I wish him success, but it's just like, don't don't hate the player, man. Stay mad, I guess. Stay mad. <laughs> Stay mad because Thanksgiving is killing it. That mo- that movie was, is probably early enough in the streaming wars that like it probably made fucking money. I mean, that from what I could tell in that dude's IMDb that directed, like he's still making movies to this day. Not with killer turkey puppets, but like he's kind of grown into like more, I guess, taller non-puppet things. Cool. I don't know, but you know the I. This is about all I can say about Thanks Killing. I I didn't really do much. the The trailer's pretty hilarious if you go check it out. I'm sure it's on YouTube or whatever. But Thanks Killing wasn't even the first Killer Turkey movie. Nope, that distinction goes to 1972's Blood Freak, directed by Brad Grinter, and this is one of the strangest and high concept exploitation films ever made, like straight up. So, let's just get into the plot of Blood Freak. A biker comes upon a girl with a flat tire and offers her a ride home. He winds up at a drug party with the girl's sister, then follows her to a turkey farm owned by her father, a mad scientist. The father turns the biker into a giant turkey monster who then goes after drug dealers and drug users because he's now feeding for the blood of drug addicts. So again, another monster looking for drugs, except... It has to be the blood of drug users, not PCP or anything like that. Now, I couldn't confirm this, but I remember originally reading somewhere, and this could be just me misremembering and making shit up, but I feel like the production was like kind of a fundamentalist Christian anti-drug movie. Mm. And there's definitely a vibe of it. But the main character, the biker in the movie, is named Herschel, and he was named after Herschel Gordon Lewis, who did, you know, Blood Feast and Call Me Blood Red and tons of, like, goofy like you know gore movies so mm-hmm. maybe it's not as maybe the the christian anti-drug stance is just a fucking marketing ploy on it but they do push it pretty hard in there and you know let's just kind of get into it the turkey monster is just essentially a paper mache head with feathers that i mean it is definitely a low budget movie and i do feel like they spend most of the budget making this paper mache head but on top of it, there's actually some good gore moments. But the thing is that I kind of, I don't know for certain, but I get the impression that they finished the movie, they did an edit, and realized that they didn't have enough to make it a feature movie. So, enter the director, smoking on camera, waxing philosophically and like morality-wise about what's going on in the movie over and over again. It kind of plays out like those like, those doctor, you know, like, teenage, like, um, instructional movies they used to play, exploitation circuits, like, they have a doctor, like, oh, let's talk about how babies are made, or, like, juvenile delinquency, like, just someone kind of, like, this is really bad, and then showing you why it's bad, but it's completely exploitive. He kind of looks down for a while, like, he's looking at his lines, like, but not in a way that he's given the news and looking at a teleprompter, like, he really just looks like he's looking down at the script, and then he reads his line, and then he does it again. It's... Yeah, again, it's low budget. It's low budget, and like, yeah, it the it gets the movie to seventy nine minutes, which is feature length. But it's just like, it it adds to the weirdness of everything. <laughs> the, believe it or not, the director appearing on camera for like half the runtime, smoking a cigarette, looking down the script, like 
reading his lines, the movie was actually rated X for violence. And I'll be honest, there's some gore in this movie. There's a lot of throat slitting, but like the big effect is the killer turkey monster slaps his drug dealer onto a table and uses a table saw and chops off his leg. And it just gushes blood. And the effect is really good, and part of it was they hired a guy that was actually missing his leg. So the effect was just like, fake leg, saw, whoop! Yep. I, I, if I remember correctly, there's even a real turkey decapitation in this movie. Um, might want, yeah, might want to warn people. It, it, it's sort of like also, I when I did the Halloween special, I showed Martin, they also do like a, I think a chicken gets cut off in it, and that's... As part of that regional horror thing where like they'll just go and get real real life stuff and like it is disturbing but it's just like I don't know if it's rated X for that, but it's in there. It's in there, but I, I think it's rated X more for like the guy spewing fucking gallons of blood out of his leg stump on the from the table saw. Oh, there's a uh, there's a scream in the movie that they use the same scream, like, you know, Wilhelm scream style, but it's like it seems like it's one of the screams, like one of the women screaming in the movie. And then they just use her scream over and over and over again, like 15 times. I mean, I guess they bought a, like, a, they only could afford, like, a few sound effects. Yeah, and, it could be. And they just, like, like, well, we need a scream. We'll just use it. Yeah, it's, it's blatant. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say it's, like, a masterpiece, but it's a weird fucking movie. Yeah. Like, it, even for exploitation movies coming out of the 70s, it's just bizarre. As for the actor who played the biker Herschel in the movie, Steve Hawks, he referred to making Blood Freak as a sad chapter in his life. But if you watch Blood Freak, it brings so much joy to your life. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's a death metal grindcore band from Portland called Blood Freak. I think they're still around. Uh, like They had a record called Multiplex Master, so they obviously got their name Blood Freak from the movie. Like They're obviously like film nerds, gore nerds. Um, and I and I think the main guy in the band was also in the band Frightmare. So again, just the love of that stuff. And uh, and probably also worth mentioning, he also did a band recently called Smut that was on Headsplit Records. Who uh, there's a cassette that they put out, and Headsplit's always awesome if you're into crazy death metal and, and the like. And I should also mention the band Necrophagia did a song about Blood Freak as well. So nice. Blood Freak. Might have started out as a pseudo-Christian anti-drug movie, but now it lives on as the inspiration of countless death metal songs. So it's got that going for it. Anyway, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we return, it will be Read, Watch, and Listen on the Cinematic Void Podcast. We turkeys can't appreciate celebrating Thanksgiving by eating a turkey. We think you should go to a Carvel ice cream store and buy an ice cream turkey. Then we can all have a party with you. Your participating Carvel ice cream store has Tom the turkey for Thanksgiving. And he's ready and beautiful. Or you want to send one to a friend? Phone toll-free 1-800-327-GIFT and call a cake on his most major credit cards. And have a happy holiday, folks. Thank you. Welcome back. It is now time for... the cinematic void podcast where we talk about all the things we've been reading watching and or listening to i'll throw it over to you first nick nick tell me what you've been reading watching and or listening to all right i uh, as far as listening um i have a couple things in the rotation lately have been in the one of the 
few new Alchemist records. I guess this is new full length, mostly just instrumental beat record from him called Food Villain. Uh, I was initially excited. Uh, I think a lot of people were because Food Villain just sounds like it's going to be some kind of like collab with MF Doom, <laughs> and that is would be some fucking exciting news. But uh, alas, it is not that. But it's still just a great, great full length from Alan the Chemist. I've been listening to the new one from Ransom and Nicholas Craven, uh, their last EP for the year, uh, which is the Deleted Scenes EP. Uh, none of these tracks made the cuts of the other uh, the other EPs they did this year. Uh, all still horror movie related songs like Final Destination, Midsummer, The Shocker, Eyes Wide Shut. You know the they, shocker, <laughs> the shocker, yeah. Um, but it's sick. Ransom is super sick, and Nicholas Craven's beats are fucking amazing. So, and then I've also went back to listening over and over to the Adrian Young Jazz Is Dead record from earlier in the year, and it's fucking fantastic, man. I'd highly recommend it. It's super sick. Uh, I just started reading the Illuminatus trilogy by Robert Anton Wilson. I've been listening to a lot of Robert Anton Wilson uh, lectures and stuff on YouTube lately. So I thought I would finally dive into one of his books. And I'm not very far in yet, but it's already super weird. And I'm excited to see where this thing goes. I've been watching Watchmen, which uh, I didn't catch when, when it initially ran. But uh, about five or six episodes in, and it totally kicks ass. Everyone's right. Um, like I said, I just saw Raging Bull. Amazing, of course, Scorsese, uh, Sorcerer, uh, William Friedkin, I believe it's the one he did right after The Exorcist, and uh, if you haven't seen it, it's wild. You know, just just a bunch of dudes driving some dynamite through the jungle. What could go wrong? Yeah. Uh, and I just saw Devil All the Time, which is uh, one of the new Netflix movies, and uh, I highly recommend it. It's super fucked up. Honestly, uh, it's by Donald Ray Pollock. Read the book. This fucking book is, well, I don't know. We're all we're all horror genre fans here. We like some fucked up shit. This is straight up one of the most fucked up books I've ever read. It's insane. The movie, uh, the movie translates well, but read the damn book first. Um, yeah, that's it for me, man. How about you? Reading wise, I've been reading Satanic Panic, edited by Kayla Janice. It's about a bunch of like different things that happened during the '80s, Satanic Panic. I've had this book on my shelf for a while, hadn't cracked into it, finally did it because I've been slacking on reading. So I was like, all right, I need to read something. So I'll go back to the 80s and talk about Satanic Panic. I mean, I've I've done enough Cinemadness movies where I've talked about Satanic Panic and it's just like, I should read this at this point. Watching-wise, I watched a couple of riff tracks. Um, watched Stone Cold, the Brian Bosworth, like... Oh, nice. <laughs> action movie where, like, you know, he basically goes undercover with a... Was he, was he a football player? He was what a was football player. Okay. He was a football player. I think he was drafted the same year as Bo Jackson. And mm. like there was a big thing where him and Bo Jackson faced off and Bo Jackson just fucking torched him and like embarrassed him. And basically sent him out on his acting career where he ended up being riff tracked. Like it I mean, it's kind of funny watching Stone Cold because like he basically his character, I think it's John Stone is his name, goes undercover in this bike gang run by Lance Henriksen. There's so many Confederate flags and swastikas in this biker gang. It's just like, wow. It's kind of like watching a Trump rally or something. <laughs> and the other riff track I watched was Jack Frost. Just starting to get in that holiday spirit. Nice. <laughs> uh, other things I've watched. I watched the, recently did a watch of The Haunting of Hill House. My wife has been trying to get me to watch the show for two years, and I finally sat down and watched it, and it's, it's fucking great. 
Uh, before that, I did watch the um, the Haunting of Bly Manor, which I thought was is pretty good. I actually just watched the others instead of watching Bly Manor. <laughs> you know, they're both turning the screw. Yeah, turn the screw. Um, but you know, I, w- I will catch up with Bly Manor eventually. I I also love Hill House or Hill House. Yeah, the Haunting of Hill House. Shit. Yeah. Anyway, yeah it. I mean, I, I kind of slept on it because, like, it was coming at a time where, like, I just wasn't in the mood for it and just finally sat down and watched it. And, like, that, like, Bly Manor, like, they're very devastating. And, like, there was things in it that were, like, kind of triggering me for some reason. I Not Bly Manor, more like Haunting a Hill House, which is why, like, when I originally tried to watch it, it's like, can't fucking do it. So, soldier through it. Really fucking good show. Sorry I'm two years late to the game or whatever it is now. Um, listening wise, it, I haven't been listening to a lot lately. Just basically, I've been throwing on Born Against, uh, specifically non, Nine Patriotic Hymns for Children, which has a couple of the songs they recorded on EPs redone. Really, if you haven't checked out Born Against, I think I've probably talked about them on this podcast before, countless times. One of my all time favorite bands, one of my favorite hardcore punk bands ever. Check it out. The singer of Born Against, Sam McFeeders, I guess he writes novels now. Yep. And I don't know if he's in a band now. I know he did a band after Born Against called Wrangler Brutes. I don't know if he's done music since, but he also wrote the liner notes to the Criterion release of Repo Man, so nice. lots of street cred there. The other thing I've been listening a lot to is on Benny the Butcher, Burden of Proof. That record is still fire. You know, I hope Benny's okay. Just heard, like, actually yesterday before he got shot in the leg at a Walmart in Houston. I guess someone's trying to rob him or whatever, but, you know, hope you're okay, Benny. Get not, well soon. Get well soon. Not that you're fucking listening to this podcast at all. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that wraps up this episode of the Cinematic Void Podcast. We'll be back in December with an episode called A Non-Traditional Christmas, where we're going to talk about some non-traditional horror movies that do have Christmas elements, but not as overt. So if you're thinking Black Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night, you're going to be disappointed because we're throwing lots and lots of curveballs. And also, as promised, we're going to be doing our top five Blu-ray releases and albums of the year as well. So stick around for that. So until next time, see you in the void.